At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101. I've got, just like last episode, I've got my brother, Mr. Aaron Ray, on with me. Um, he is our um, non-hunter being exposed to bow hunting for the first time. And then we've got Mr. Aaron Schneider. Aaron, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to stay warm. Uh, looks like uh, everyone in North America is freezing to death right now. <laughs> Same boat. Dude, it's horrible, man. I uh, We had a bunch of power outages last night. Luckily, my house didn't really um, get too cold because I had my fire going as well. Uh, but right before this, I was outside and uh, getting firewood, and, and I was freezing cold just getting wood. Um, but I will refer to you guys as, as Schneider and then um, just Aaron. Uh, and so that way we can keep it um, keep it in line. Now, Schneider, not that you need much of an introduction um, at all, you kind of are the man, the myth, the legend behind Kafaru, Kafaru cast. Um, but give us a quick introduction to yourself, my friend. Gotcha. Uh, well, uh, Aaron Snyder, uh, I live in, well, Colorado, west of Denver, one of the owners of Kafaru International and the CEO president. But I really am not the boss. Frank Peralta is the boss here. I just show up every now and then. Um and uh, I'm one of the co-hosts. Frank and I do Kafaru Cast, uh, which is a, a hunting podcast. We talk about all kinds of stuff, um, into photography, uh, survival, things like that. I guide occasionally. Um, yeah, I, I've been in the industry a while and spend way too much time in the woods. Um, so I, I can't remember to uh, file my taxes, but I'm really good at uh, killing stuff and surviving while I do it. Oh man, my uh, my friends over at. Uh... At Selway, I, I don't remember what I was talking to him about, but oh, it was about Chris Perino, our mutual friend, yeah. and uh, and they said, yeah, oh, Chris, he kills more animals a year than anybody with the last name than anybody other than the last name Schneider, and I'm like, that's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I get to hunt a lot. I'm blessed, uh, especially you know, I came up with you know basically nothing, not not a lot of money um, in my household, and raised in a mobile home, and. Uh, Barely graduated high school, so. You know, I, I've heard you talk about that. I've heard you talk about how, you know, you would sleep on an air mattress or on your air pad um, in a small apartment just so you could have more money to go hunting. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I remember hearing you say one time, I remember hearing you say one time, don't tell me you don't have money to hunt if you smoke cigarettes or dip Copenhagen. Because uh, that's, you know, five bucks a day you could save and, and then go hunting with it. And uh, I was just like, that's, that's true, man. You hear people say, oh, I can't afford to go on elk hunt this year. And I'm like, well, really, you just you 
bought a new car. You know, if you really wanted to go on elk hunt, you could have. Yeah, and I, that's definitely been taken out of context by some people. My my point is, if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way. And yeah, you know, like, well, hey, I've got four kids and a mortgage, and well, nothing wrong with that. That's that's the life you've you've chosen, and that's totally fine. I mean, that's a great life. It's just if you're really wanting to, you know, hunt all the time, you you have to sacrifice, you know, some things to make other things happen. So. And I certainly didn't take it out of context. I was like, you know, he's right. Uh, at, you know, at the end of the year, if if I want to go, you know, on on a South Texas hunt, then uh, then there's some other things I need to cut back on, so I can do that. And uh, you know, that's kind of been a I have a, a personal monthly, you know, set this back a month so I can go hunting at the end of the year, um, or for this year and this hunt in 2021, whatever it may be. Um, you know, that's that's kind of how I do it, and so. Uh, I certainly didn't take it the wrong way. I appreciated it. Uh, Aaron, Ray, you just had a uh, a baby a week ago, uh, four days ago, right? Uh, no? A week ago tomorrow. A week ago tomorrow. Man, how's that going? Uh, pretty good, honestly. Um, we didn't get much sleep the first couple nights home from the hospital, but we've kind of settled in, and he's been sleeping pretty well. We've He's our third, and, and we've been blessed with good sleepers each time. So knock on wood, uh, hopefully we've we've got one more. Number three, now the kids outweigh the parents, and that's when it really goes haywire. I'm kind of fat. It's going to be a while till they outweigh me, but they they outnumber us. <laughs> now, Aaron uh, Schneider, I do have a quick question for you before we dive in. So with two guys who are new to shooting a recurve, what is your – do you do anything specifically? And, uh, you know, we're going to get into arrow building and arrow tuning and how to set up your arrow for, for shooting on your recurve. but do you do any kind of specific workouts? Uh, my brother is a, a power lifter. That's what he does. Um, I kind of just work out enough to stay fit, but do you do anything, any workouts specifically to shoot better? I shoot my bow and that's <laughs> kind of an ongoing joke with, uh, Oh, what the heck's that thing called? The uh, AccuBow? Uh, yeah. yeah. I could nothing wrong with the AccuBow, but the best thing I found is to just shoot your bow. Um, and it's cold outside. So I just, I shoot it four or five feet when I lived in an apartment, I did that, you know, big bag target and, uh, just really work on form and, and shooting my bow over. Don't think that, you know, I was a former power lifter myself and we would hand handle literally like I say Olympic level, but high level power lifters, a 75 pound bow they couldn't pull it back. And I just watched the dude close grip bench, 500 pounds. It's yeah. muscle. So you got to shoot to, you know, that's the best way to do it is shoot. You know, I heard, uh, no, I heard somebody ask Michael Jordan one time, um, what he would recommend to, to jump higher. And he said, jump more. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. No, that's why I ask you, um, you know, you see a lot of guys and, and, uh, and John Dudley, you know, is one of them who puts out like the specific, you know, workout types to to hold steadier and all this stuff. And and I'm like, well, that's all good, but I just shoot my bow, and and I do it when I'm tired. I do it when, you know, when I get home from the gym is when I shoot my bow. When I, you know, if I go on a bike ride or something, that's when I shoot my bow. I'm tired, out of breath, uh, you know, because that's when you're going to shoot it on the mountain. Um, and so that I mean, that's all I've ever done is just shoot shoot my bow and, and you know i don't have that specific like one workout but i was just curious if you did no and i don't know that um 
be honest with you, the steadiest I ever hold, I was a big fat guy, uh, like probably 50 pounds overweight, didn't work out a whole lot. And was probably the best. I had a lot of ballast, maybe like I had a good center of gravity because I had a big butt crack coming out of the front of my shirt was the best I ever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I there I, obviously I'm a huge advocate of fitness, but I also like cookies. So I try to be realistic to the world, um, you know, like do your best. If you, if you want to do cardio, go do cardio. You want to shoot a bow, shoot your bow because you can also work on form. Uh, in good drilling uh, while you're shooting and, and build up that muscle at the same time. And I mean, I lift every day, but if I go three, four weeks, like let's say if I'm guiding and don't shoot the, the recurve, it's a little stiff at first. Within a few days, I'm I'm back in action. And it's just a matter of, um, uh, you know, just like anything, just reps. Yeah. No, I was just curious. Um, so before we dive into arrow tuning, let me give a quick thank you to my friends over at Garmin. Um, I became a huge believer in their products. Uh, my first kind of out west backcountry hunt, uh, you know, growing up in the south and then moving to the Midwest, never had much reason um, for any kind of GPS um, trackers. And my first hunt out west, asked my friends um, over at SNS Archery, what do I need to get? And uh, he recommended the Garmin Instinct to me. Fell in love with their products. I still wear a Garmin Instinct, uh, still use the InReach, and just absolutely love all of their products. So go check out Garmin uh, for any kind of GPS needs. Aaron, do you use any Garmin products? All of them but the Garmin Zero, which uh, I better not bring that up because then they'll probably look down on you because I'm not a fan of that technology. But the I have an Instinct Solar on right now. I use a Garmin InReach. I've used a Garmin 601 for 20 years. Uh, I just upgraded to a 701. It's a wristwatch compass um, GPS. I'm a huge fan of Garmin, uh, except the Garmin Zero, but I'll stop talking about that. <laughs> I use the Instinct Solar now. I originally had the, the original Instinct and just fell in love with it. I stink and love that Instinct Solar, man. Yeah, it, it, it's one of the better, and I've used a lot. And so when I I test a lot, you know, we test things we produce at Kafaro for, for years. Um, uh, so I test gear a, a really long time before I speak about it. And I've used multiple companies watches to in great depth. I know how they all, the functions work. I, I know the, the parts and pieces as far as, you know, what's the formats of them and that, that instinct for 300 bucks is as good as it gets. Now, I, like I said, I have a solar, a Phoenix six solar as well. That's an awesome watch, but you also may need a PhD to understand the functions of it, where the uh, the instinct's a little dumbed down for red decks like myself. You're a hundred percent, dude. It's it's funny because uh, I've got a, a Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Six Solar as well, and uh, pretty much every day I go to the instinct over it. Um, just a, it's an easier watch to use. It's lighter. It's I mean, it's a better watch in my opinion. Yeah, it's a good 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 product. I had a friend call me and uh, he said, Hey man, you know, I want to get a, a Phoenix six, blah, 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 this and that. And it was going to be his first GPS style watch. And I said, well, that's, I said, that's, it's a good watch. I said, but you could save yourself, you know, 400 bucks and have a better watch in my opinion, if you want the instinct, um, it's just a phenomenal watch. Um, now, now that we've chased that rabbit, um, on to arrow building. So last episode, we dove in with Mr. Fred Eichler about setting up your bow, getting it out of the package, um, getting it, getting it, getting your brace height set, getting that bow ready to rock and roll. Now, once you have done all of those things, Aaron, what is the first, 
what are the first steps you take? And, and, you know, I don't know if you find an arrow. I don't know if you, uh, what, what do you do arrow setup wise after you've gotten your bow set up? So, uh, with the bow set up and like I said, Fred went into that, make sure just before I get started, make sure the brace heights, the manufacturer's spec, um, things like that. And then that's your starting point for your arrow build. Cause you, you, you want to be able to adjust the brace height to help the tune later on for micro tuning. Um, so the first thing I tell people, we need to figure out your draw length and we need to figure out your poundage. The next thing we need to figure out what game you're going to be hunting. Um, you know, meaning some game requires maybe a little bit different setup than others. Um, and then once we figure out the game, you're going to be going after along with the draw length and poundage, what your blueprint, let's say top three arrow setups may be. Um, you know, I'm going to need to know the total arrow weight you want. Uh, so let's say that's 550 to 600 grains. Now we're going to figure out if you want less point weight or more point weight, meaning do we want to get a lighter grain per inch arrow that's stiff and then load up the front to weaken it a little bit so you have a higher FOC? Or do you want to shoot a higher grain per inch arrow uh, with average point weight up front? And then that way, you know, when I'm breaking this down for people, I'm like, all right, man, so your draw length, I'm just going to say 29, and your poundage is, let's say, 55. Your bow, depending upon where it's cut from center, long bows are cut more at center, recurves sometimes cut past center. That has to do a little bit with the equation as well. Um, and then I'll break that down by each specific arrow. So if you take three types of arrows, one of them is 11 grains per inch, one of them is nine and a half, and one's 8.7, all at 350 spine, you know, roughly. Um, I'm going to compute about the arrow length you're going to end up at, roughly. Um, then I'm going to know how much that arrow is going to weigh. Now I'm going to be able to compute roughly your point weight, plus or minus a little bit, give you three options. Usually I cater to a little bit heavier point weight with an average weighted arrow. So that way you've got, you know, 250 or so up front with components and uh, your, your point weight. I'm a big fan of real beefy components, um, you know, up front. So I usually am a, around 75 to 100 grain components up front. That's what I suggest to people just because that's super beefy, um, you know, allows a severe stump shooting or whatever, a little bit more durability. So after we get to that point, and we figure out what system you want to shoot, meaning you want to be around, you know, the 575, let's say, and we're going to run with a 9.4 grain per inch arrow, and we're going to be, you know, roughly 250 to 275 up front. All of that can be adjusted via point weight. We can add or subtract, or arrow length, we can add a little or subtract. When you're tuning an arrow, the, the easy way to think about it is the longer the arrow, the weaker that arrow may be. So if you're tearing weak out of the bow while you're tuning, you can cut that arrow down to, to a certain dimension. Obviously, you can't cut it too short. Uh, so you got a little room to play there with arrow length. Point weight, the same thing. If your components are 100 grains, just to keep things even, um, that's going to allow you 150 to 200 grain point weight variable uh, variability to, to weaken or stiffen the spine. So with the point weight, if you take away point weight, you stiffen the spine. If you add point weight, you weaken it. Uh, so as we're building, actually, one of my my buddies, uh, Jake Downs, uh, big trad guy, he made a meme the other day, something about the smart man once said, find an arrow that tunes by four dozen. 
and turn off social media. That is a good, good <laughs> meme. I saw, I saw that. Get, <laughs> and he and I are the same way. I literally just got my arrow build done. I bought six dozen of them. I've got four dozen with broadheads on and two dozen ready to go for tournaments and practice. Um, I got that build micro tuned, and I'll go over that in a minute. Perfect. And that's what I'm going to shoot this year because I don't want to mess with anything. Now, in buying bulk, so so if you find an arrow that you just absolutely, you know, say I'm shooting the, the Bear Grizzly, and I find an arrow that just absolutely flies perfect, and I love it, and, and it's a great shooting arrow, flies like a dart. You know, say I do buy six dozen. If I was to buy, you know, say a mag riser, uh, but it's the same weight, same poundage, all that, all that stuff. Um, is that arrow still going to fly like a like it needs to, or no? Nope. Riser weight changes the the tune astronomically. Adding point, adding weight to your bow, having a heavier riser or a lighter riser changes the tune way more than people realize. Putting a quiver on changes your tune, and really significantly now the problem is not problem but most people can't shoot well enough i say most some people can't shoot well enough to know the difference um in some that's what i was gonna ask you how do you know the difference in bad shooting and and bad tuning i usually if i'm trying to help somebody over like uh, online i gotta have them send me videos uh of them shooting because if you're um if you're if you're um how would I say this without, without offending anyone? If your average group is a paper plate to a stop sign, a realistic group, not an internet group, but a real group, is a paper plate to a stop sign at 20 yards, meaning a good day is a paper plate, a bad day is a stop sign. Nothing wrong with that, except micro-tuning with groups like that are a lot more difficult. Um, and so at that point, you really have to kind of assess – Okay, my form name maybe needs a little work, so we're going to do the best we can with your arrow build with the, the form or form issues you have. And the micro-tuning may not come into play as much, right? We're just going to get you the, as close as we can until you clean things up. Um, and and um, it's not um, – I take it a little – I'm pretty um, – I get – I'm really, really anal retentive with my tune. Um, That's exactly why I wanted you to do this episode, my friend. Well, it's just, I know that people worry about FOC and a bunch of other things, but bottom line, if that arrow is hitting that animal sideways because of a bad tune, you lose a lot of penetration from that, a lot. Um, Obviously, accuracy goes down the hill, but just straight up penetration is a problem. And so, you know, having to where I do slow-mo videos and I'll post them up online of my arrow flight and where I'll tweak it. So... You know, for me, it's 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 really important. And I think even when I had, you know, rewind, right, I'm getting better all the time. When I wasn't as good, I just did the best I can with what I was offering. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can only tune so well if my release sucks. And I just got as close as I can. Now, release is cleaned up. And I fire slow-mo. You know, I set a camera up behind me, watch my form, watch the arrow flight. I shoot bear shafts out to 40. I shoot my flesh arrows out to 40. And that's where here in a minute, we'll go into the micro tuning where that comes into play now. And I don't know if, I don't know if Aaron's got any questions at this point. Um, my question is this, do you start, do you personally start by cutting the shaft? Um, or do you start by, by changing uh, tip weight? I like to keep 300 grains up front. So, I do I, sh- I do a 200 grade point 100 grain components and I adjust the arrow length. Now that's 
because I have a pile of 200 grain broadheads and I have a pile of 200 or 100 grain components. And so I tune it to 300 grains up front total. If I drop down to 250, let's say some state-of-the-art broadhead came out that I had to try. No problem. Uh, my arrow's just going to be a little bit longer. But overall, I, I try to keep 300 tuned by the arrow because I want 300 grains up front. Now, do you run uh, do you run the Valkyrie system? I, I, yeah, uh, not now. I have in the past. I've had good luck with it. Um, I found some other options that I like a little bit better, and I, I just designed a couple options with a couple different companies that I like a lot better. And nothing wrong with Valkyrie; they make a great system. I just I'm always looking to, um, you know, better the industry in any way possible that I can to make life a little bit easier. Uh, hunters if, if it's possible and that is not always easy to do because there's a lot of technology on the market and sometimes you just can't make anything better other things you can yeah no uh i, I mean i don't i don't work with those guys um i don't work with those guys at all uh but but i know um basically the conversation came up the other day with the uh with the new eastern axis four millimeter um which i just got a couple dozen in and uh and basically the conversation came up that 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 Valkyrie system would build really good on those arrows. And so um, I had looked into it a bit, didn't know if you were still shooting them or not, but uh, just curious. Yeah, great, great system. You know, and that's kind of part of the equation I was talking about, you know, not necessarily the exact system, but the weight of the system that you may want to shoot. Meaning, you know, with Valkyrie, there's stainless steel inserts 56 grains, I believe, on a uh, three, 300 or 350 spine. Uh, and then that breaks down, okay, what broadheads are available in the case of Valkyrie, you get their broadhead. You don't get to shoot another one. Cause that's, you know, it's a full system. Um, is that broadhead something you like? Um, you know, or is that, is that kind of, you're going to be your go-to and then we will figure out the tune off of, if you're going to shoot a Valkyrie off that weight system and, and everything else. So if you got a 56 grain uh, stainless steel component and we want to be at 300 up front, then we know you're going to need a 250 grain broadhead for that system where another system you might need a hundred grain component and a 200 grain head. And that's where you kind of shuffle around figuring out your, your picture perfect blueprinted arrow. Now I might be, uh, I might be skipping ahead. I might be, uh, skipping around. I don't know. You know, I just, I ask what comes to my mind. Um, so I know when I kind of started very first diving into tuning a recurve, um, I, I was very much so anal about all of my gear on my compound as far as tuning went. And I almost didn't want to get there with my recurve, you know. Uh, I almost just wanted to find what works and went out and shoot it, like you said, um, which was the best advice I ever got from Chris Perino. He's like, just find what works and shoot it, you know. Who cares? Um, and so I started diving into this tuning of, of recurves, and, uh, you know, I got into the whole – and it's real simple, you know, shoot it at a target. And if it is, if you're, if your knock point is hitting left, uh, you're too weak. And if your knock point is hitting right, you're too stiff. Now, do you shoot through paper? Or do you use that method? Man, uh, that I lose a lot of methods. And so okay. I, I'll break those down because there's certain methods that may work better for one person compared to another. Um, you know, when you, when you, um, generally, uh, some shops are going to have your bear shaft tune. Some shops are going to have you paper tune. If you have a bad release, 
it's not going to matter if you shoot through paper or bare shaft because it's not going to get a true tune uh, because your release is affecting it. When I say a true tune, if you clean up your face, your tune's going to change. And so you got to get as close as you can. But for right. me, I generally, um, well, not generally, I shoot a bare shaft as I'm cutting the arrow down, right? Figuring out the tune. Now we know like hypothetically, we were talking about, we're going to talk about my setup. Um, I know that I'm going to shoot a 300 spine arrow and I know I'm going to have 300 grains up front total. So I'm probably going to need a 300 spine. Um, you know, and I could go with a 250 spine or I could go with a 350. Uh, if I cut the arrow down more on the 350, a little bit longer on the 250, I could make other arrows to work, but 300 is about perfect. So when I go to tune, I'm going to start with a little bit longer arrow than I think I might need to give me room to play to, to cut it down. I'm going to back up to six, eight feet. Um, and I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to fire a bear shaft into my bag target and see how it hits. Once I get it pretty close, um, I may fire same thing, a couple of the bear shafts through paper. And if it's close, meaning let's say I'm tearing just a hair left or a hair right, or, or maybe it's variable because my release is changing just a little bit. Um, I've got it close enough to where I know, okay, that arrow length is good. I'm shooting pretty close to a bullet hole with my bear shaft. And when I say bear shaft, I do put weight on the end of the arrow to make up for the wrap in the vein. I put tape around the back of the arrow. So I weigh out electrical tape. So it weighs out the exact same as my wrap and fletching. That way, because when you add weight to the back of the arrow, it actually stiffens the spine. So that will change your tune. Um, adding weight to the front weakens your arrow. Adding weight to the back stiffens it. And, and in reverse, same thing. So I wrap electrical tape that I've weighed so it mimics it. I get it to where it's as close to a bullet hole as I can get with my semi-okay release hand. You know, it's I, I can only get it as close as I can get it with my release, which is getting better. Once I get that done, I flesh those arrows up. Let's say my brace height on my current setup is eight inches. That's the manufactured recommendation. Start out with eight. Uh, my, my arrow rest, whether you're shooting off the shelf or a, a bare weather rest or something else, um, I, I, I generally try to, um, if you can imagine looking down your string in the center of your riser and then eyeballing your arrow, I have a specific dimension, I guess, that my arrow will be pointed off of center exactly to where I start out with. And I actually start with my arrow just a hair left of center, my point when I'm eyeballing all that down, that's just what I'm comfortable with. I don't necessarily suggest that. Um, that's just where I start. If you got a bare weather rest, you don't have a choice. You stick it on and you can put thicker or thinner tape, but the bare weather rest just sticks on there or the shelf. You can put a little thicker padding. You can put a toothpick behind it, a piece of plastic to shim it off, but you're kind of stuck with what you've got um, unless you've got some kind of an adjustable springy type rest. Um, so once, once I get all that going, um, my brace height, if I want to leave the arrow rest where it's at, or I have to, my brace height is going to be my micro tuning. So at that point in time, um, this is harder to do, uh, with a fast shooting bow with a stick bow. It's no problem. I've got an iPhone with slow-mo video. I'll either have my wife get behind me and film, or I will set it up on a tripod and I will shoot with that arrow, with that camera over my shoulder several arrows watching how it comes out of the bow, both fletched and bare shaft. Um, I do this at 40 yards. That's generally, I gap shoot. That's my point on. I watch that arrow flight. This is without any wind. And then I'll micro tune. So let's say it's tearing pretty close through paper, right? At six or eight feet. 
But let's say as the arrow goes out, when the paradox finishes up or the flexing of the arrow, it starts to cater just a little knock left, which will make you impact right. If it caters a little knock right and you see it just drifting a little bit in slow-mo, uh, that means it's too stiff. When an arrow's too stiff, you have to incre increase brace height, which seems counterintuitive, but that's just how it works with the paradox of the arrow. I increase my brace height about a quarter of an inch, eighth of an inch, if it's barely carrying right. If it's barely carrying left, I decrease my brace height, same thing, seven and seven eighths, give or take seven and three quarters. That's where the micro tune comes in. And that's how, you know, when I'm doing this micro tune, I will have, when it's all said and done, at 40 yards is my tuning distance. That's where I'm really comfortable. That's my point on. Um, and if I was going to take a bet, for example, for money, 40 yards would be the distance I'd hope they would choose because I'm just comfortable at that distance, even more so than 20. So when I'm tuning at 40, increasing the brace height if it's tearing stiff, decreasing if it's tearing weak. Once I get all that done, then I screw three broadheads on, three field tips fletched and one field tip bare shaft and I group tune. Um, and, and at that point, I actually probably turn the camera off because it's such a pain in the butt going back and forth watching it. I just shoot groups. My general at 40 yards um, is somewhere between a paper plate and a softball. That's what I'm looking for um, that I know I can stay inside of all the time. So basically uh, on a, you know, uh, a McKinsey Delta or Reinhardt mule deer target. The tin ring is what I'm wanting to stay inside. I shoot all those arrows, you know, uh, for groups. Make sure everything's grouping good. Generally, when I say generally, pretty much always, I never touch it after that slow-mo video is done. I take that brace height. And I will confirm that I wasn't doing something wacky that day with my release. Uh, I'll confirm, okay, this is my tiller. Because sometimes you do have to change the tiller if you're knock high or low. And I'll go into that in a sec. Um you know, and I write down, okay, this was my brace height, um, you know, for, for this specific tune. This was the distance my arrow was away from the riser or the shelf. I write that down. I write it on the bow with a Sharpie. That way, when I'm in the field, if anything goes awry, I've got the data right there that I need to go back to where I was. Um, and again, so far, I've talked about mostly left and right because uh, I like to break them down separately. Now I'm going to go into knock high and low issues. Um, so... Again, we covered everything, what I do for, for knock, uh, or, for, or excuse me, for stiff and for weak. Do you, do you actually, do you have any questions I'm rambling on here? Aaron, you got anything? Um, not at this point. I've got a uh, unrelated question almost. Um, tell me, and it's not really a question, it's more of like a, I want you to plug it for me and give me some information on it. Uh, the new AAE trad vein, you played a big role in the developing of that. Um, is that what you run? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that all started, um, I was going on a goat hunt. Um, I'm real good friends with the guys over at AAE and, and Greg Poole, who's kind of a consultant for them. I was going on a goat hunt in the Chugach mountains and I had been on multiple, uh, British Columbia bear hunts, grizzly hunts, um, wet conditions hunted in Idaho quite a bit where it was kind of a pain with feathers. And so initially that was a favor for them to just build veins for me. Uh, it took four or five renditions of it to get it right. When they sent me the last batch, I went out in my driveway and had my wife film. You know, I fletched up a few arrows with them, called AAE and said, hey, man, we got it. And uh, they're like, oh, cool. I was like, man, this is good enough. You you should bring this to the market. This hasn't been done before. It's been tried. Uh, and, of course, 
when they were released, I heard all the stories of this has been tried and everything else, but truly it, it had never been done like that shooting off the shelf that you could uh, get a vein to, to, to fly pretty close to the same as a feather. Um, and so the rest is history. They, um, you know, they would build up different, uh, mixtures or whatever of, of the, for the vein to make it, you know, we changed the width of the base a few times, thinner and thicker. The, the, I guess the different, um, I don't know what all, I don't know what the veins are made out of, but they would add and subtract different things to the mixture to make it stiffer or more flexible. Um, and again, that last, that last batch they made was, was money. And, uh, yeah, that, that's all I shoot is trad veins now. Do you four fletch those? I do, but I, I, you know, the four fletch thing, I'll go that over that in a minute. As far as the tune, um, I have found a three inch four fletch is the best of all worlds. Um, so 12 inches total of vein on the back end. I had originally started with three, five inch feathers. I went to four and just with tuning over and over and over, I just found four, three inch, uh, four, you know, two and three quarters, somewhere in that is the best all around stability, right? Stabilizing the broad head, wind drift, um, you know, all of that kind of taken into consideration. The, the four, three inch was the best, you know, option out of all of them. Yeah, I just fletched up, um, I fletched up a dozen of those Axis four millimeters um, in the, uh, I think I did, I'm not looking at the arrows, I think I did a four inch four fletch um, with those trad veins and uh, haven't got to shoot it yet. Um, been, been too cold for me to go outside and shoot them, but uh, I'm excited for them, man. So I was just curious, I'm, I, uh, you know, I, I, I had been reading a lot about them and, you know, my friends over at three rivers said, uh, we always have a couple in our quiver, um, just in case, you know, you do have those, those bad conditions. And so I didn't know if for you, it was something like, you know, all of your arrows are on that trad vein, or if it's, you know, kind of like they said, they carry a couple just in case conditions do get bad and their feathers are messed up. Um, so I was just curious. I, I think, uh, and this isn't a slide or any, you know, talking crap or anything. Usually the, the vein, uh, the trad vein, if you compare it in noise to a feather, is a little over 75% reduction in noise. That, and that's not bro science. That's been tested. So if you're shooting a feather nowadays with the trad vein as an option, you're probably do, doing it out of more um, uh, tradition. You like the look of the feather. Yeah. You break it down in actual you know, science, meaning the noise, the tune, everything else. There's not a lot of reasons not to shoot a trad vein. Feathers are cool, though. You're not going to take a picture of a trad vein, you know, on your bow quiver and think, wow, that's awesome. You are going you're, to, you know, good. no, they're ugly as hell. <laughs> but <laughs> a feather is really cool, but a feather's loud. They get wet. You know, there's some negative sides to them. But, you know, when people ask me, I'm like, dude, don't shoot what you want. If you want to shoot feathers, great. If you get into a wet condition, throw a few trad vein, you know, fleshed up arrows in there. I only shoot them. Um, originally I was going to shoot feathers and veins trying to help everyone out. Um, you know, cause I'm not in, I don't, I don't make money from the trad vein or anything. Um, I, you know, my deal is like, okay, try to make the, the traditional archery industry, you know, better. Well, I had some of the feather companies get on kind of a bash fest, um, towards me because of that trad vein. At that point, I kind of just made up my mind. I'm going to shoot nothing but trad veins just out of general principle. Uh, but I don't have anything, any issue with feathers at all. I, I think they're great. They look really cool. It's just a matter. I hunt some pretty rugged, 
you know, places in pretty bad conditions. And so the vein for, fits well for me. You know, uh, back to what you said about you're only shooting those because tradition and because they look cool. And, and you know, I have, you know, I, I just fletched up two dozen arrows with feathers on them. And that's the sole purpose. I'm like, I know the trad vein is going to be better. Um, I know it's not going to, you know, the feathers aren't going to get messed up if they go into the ground. Um, or the veins aren't going to get messed up if they go into the ground like a feather does. It don't have to worry about water. It don't have to worry about noise. But like you said, it's just they look stinking legit. So, um, you know, I'm not saying I've abandoned feathers altogether, but I can almost bet you that anytime I go hunting, it's going to be the trad vein in my quiver because it's just a better option. Um, but I was just curious. You know, I wanted to hear I wanted to hear your take on it because I know you played a, a big role in uh, in developing that and and helping get that out there. And you know, I know uh, Jonathan over at Three Rivers just raved on about it, and so I, I ordered. Um, I ordered several different colors and started fletching arrows with them. And, uh, and then this snowstorm of 2021 hit and I haven't got to shoot them yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, they do. Sh- I had a lot of people like, what's the coldest weather you've shot a man. And I'm like, well, I shot today and it's negative 17. So if you're hunting in that, you're tougher than I am. Cause it gets below zero. Uh, I'm probably not going to be hunting. But if you choose to do so, they do really well in cold weather. Um, I just, uh, I'm probably not the best guy to test, uh, you know, oh, it's negative 50. They did great. Oh, well, it's negative 50. I'm going to be playing with my dogs in the house by the wood stove because it's too cold for me. <laughs> You're not wrong, man. Um, well, before we move on and, and switching lanes from AAE onto Bonning, uh, let me give a quick thank you to our friends over at Bonning. I use their jigs to put on all of those uh a trad veins which is kind of like a sin i think but uh but no uh our friends over at bonding uh have some awesome fred bear branded arrow wraps uh and veins and so go check out all of bonding's products at bonding.com um all right aaron back on to our uh arrow building process um first off tell me run me through what you're actually shooting you just said you found the perfect setup uh what is that it is not an Easton, so you sure you want me to go over that? <laughs> I got yeah, Easton, man. Uh, it's a Black Eagle X Impact uh, 300 spine, uh, four three inch trad veins, um, and then the component system uh, was actually d- designed by uh, myself and, and Bill at Iron Will uh, for the broadheads and components. Uh, it'll actually be released tomorrow. Um, really, what we did is just kind of went to to work and. Uh, to try to find a better system for micro diameter arrows. Um, you know, there's the deep six system. There's a lot of component systems, but they're all flawed in some way, in my opinion, for, for micros. And so we feel we found the most durable and consistent system ever designed for a, for a micro, um, not to like throw the sales plug in or whatever, but you know, we, we, worked on this for quite a while and, and it does solve a lot of issues for, for micro diameter component problems. You know, I, uh, I don't mind that you give the sales plug because uh, I'm the kind of person where I want somebody to say, uh, this is what works. Um, you know, this is what you should try, uh, because that's, you know, that's, it's a good starting place. And, uh, you know, when I first got into shooting a recurve, uh, Chris Perino was the first guy I called and he was the worst guy to call. Um, cause he was just like, I don't know, man, I just shoot what works for me. And I'm just like, come on, help me out here. You know? And, uh, he's just like, I don't, I don't get into it. I just shoot whatever works. Uh, but I'm the kind of guy that I want somebody to say, 
this is a good system. This has been tested. This works. Um, so I appreciate you giving that kind of, that kind of answer. Um, so back on to finding that perfect arrow flight and that perfect, uh, arrow tune. Uh, I know we got off on another little tangent there, but, uh, I, uh, I do appreciate you, uh, giving me some insight on that, on that trad vein. Oh yeah, no, no problem. So, you know, back into the, you know, tuning, uh, we talked the left and right weak and stiff and how I do that. So for, for knock high and low issues, um, when you shoot a, a bear shaft or a, um, a, a shaft with a broadhead tuned, uh, or excuse me, broadhead screwed on your arrow, uh, a lot of times it's going to impact high or low of where your field tip, your fleshed up field tip is, uh, field tip arrow is. There's a lot of things to, you know, I shoot three under, uh, some guys shoot split finger. So the bow needs to be tillered correctly, um, you know, to the, the, style of shooting method you're using, meaning three under or split. Um, and, and that obviously when you buy your bow, you tell the bow manufacturer that if you're shooting an ILF system, uh, you can adjust it yourself. And so I personally, when I set this bow up with everything I talked about before, um, you know, with my bow build, I start five eighths knock high uh, for three fingers under. It's lower than that for split finger normally. Uh, I start five eighths knock high. And I'm doing the same thing, you know, going back from scratch, shooting in the bag target. Am I impacting early knock high or low? I adjust the knocking point uh, for that. When I go, you know, from, from bear shaft or paper, when I go outside and I start watching the arrow flight, uh, we'll watch that uh, if, it's, if it's, you know, whipping up and down. Am I getting a lot, a lot of knock high and low uh, issues from when it leaves the bow to the target? As, and is my, am I impacting with broadheads and bear shafts high or low of my fletched arrows? Uh, sometimes with people getting into really crazy high FOC, you're going to get a, a knock high tear that may never come out. Even with tiller tuning, you can't tiller tune it out. Um, if that happens, you either got to learn to deal with it or you're going to have to drop point weight um, to get that knock high tear out. A lot of times with high FOC, you just don't get it out. But with leaving the high, crazy high FOC stuff out of the equation, because that's a nightmare. Um, standard FOC, you know, let's say 18 to 22% uh, front of center. Um, what I'll do is, is a couple different things. If you're shooting a standard uh, three-piece or one-piece bow that doesn't have a tiller adjustment where you can't crank the limbs in and out, um, I, I literally, I just move the knock point up and down until uh, my bear shaft, my broadheads, and my fletched arrows all hit in the same point. And like I said before, I'll do three broadheads, three field tips, um, you know, with fletch, fletch, fletched up, and one bear shaft. When I'm shooting those groups at 40 yards, uh, tuning left and right, I'm also tuning knock high and low to get them to impact in the same point. So if you shoot a fletched arrow uh, at 40 yards, hits in the middle, and then I shoot a bear shaft or a broadhead shaft, and it impacts high, usually that means I'm shooting knock low, um, which I need to raise it up because it's it's obviously impacting high and it's taking off uh, um, out of the bow with a knock low. Uh, sometimes that can be a false read. If you're shooting so knock low, it will actually bounce off the shelf or the rest and then impact uh, low because it's bounced off. And so... That's why the five eights comes into play. That's a really safe place to start, um, you know, tuning your knock height. 
if you if you started lower than that, you may start out of the gate with an inaccurate or false read. So at five eighths, I can really feel safe that I'm not going to get a, a false read off of uh, what it's doing through paper or bear shaft or group tuning. Um, when you when you do that and you're messing with the uh, the knock height, or if you're shooting an ILF system, you can tiller tune, meaning take cranks off the top or bottom limb, um, and you can also like I said, move the knock point. There's other things that, you know, you can sometimes screw around with that might help, but those are the primaries that I would focus on. Normally, if you can't get it to tune off moving the knock point, you're probably shooting extremely high FOC or your release is horrible and you'll never get it to tune right until you clean up your release. Now you said, um, I've got one question and it must be something uh, I don't know. I just haven't got into it. What is tiller tuning? So your tiller is the different distance. I'm going to keep this really generic. The distance from your limb where your limb meets the uh, riser to the string. Um, that bow, your bow needs to be tillered to the uh, style of w- whether you're shooting split finger or three under. If you're shooting split finger, your tiller is going to be different than shooting three under. And the bow manufacturer uh, will sometimes tiller the bow uh, accordingly. You can also shoot an even tiller, which is what I suggest people to do um, and adjust the knock point accordingly. So if you shoot an even tiller, you're generally going to end up not five eighths knock high. If you're tillered for three under, you may not end up uh, knock high. And what that tiller is doing is taking away the uh, pressure, I guess you could say, or uneven pressure for three under since you're putting more stress on one limb than the other because you're you're not splitting the the knock you're actually putting your your three fingers under the knock and so it's putting more pressure on the one limb than the other uh tiller tuning is what allows you to adjust to compensate for that so you're going to take uh take away or add two cranks out of the top or bottom limb um to get the even pressure when you draw the bow back for that uh, for that draw cycle i got you so this is a i, I mean Seems like a common sense question, but that would have to be on a takedown, right? Well, not even a takedown. It's got to be on an ILF. You can't tiller tune on a three-piece um, standard mount limb. So uh, if you have a you know standard three-piece riser, like let's say uh, one of the bears I've shot before Tom Plum had, you know, you've got a limb bolt, screws through the limb, mounts it to the riser. You crank it all the way down, you know, snug it up. That's all you got. You don't get to back that out or add to or I take away that. So you, then if you have that, which is like most, um, you know, wood bows or non-ILF system bows, you don't get to adjust the tiller. So you're going to mess with the knock point. I got you. Okay. Very good. So once all that's said and done, um, you know, some of the other things people may look into is the, the fletching. Do you want to shoot three, five inch, three, four inch, three, three inch? Do you want to shoot four, three inch? Um, when you when that, that comes into play, you can get any of those to tune. You know that's that's not an issue. Um, mostly, probably it's in your mind if you think one maybe groups a little better than the other, which is fine because the you know being uh, confident in your system is what's most important. Where you really want to look into that is, do you need 15 inches of feather or vein uh, to stabilize your broadhead, or is that overkill? And if it is overkill, is that extra overkill worth the potential wind drift on windy days? Um, 
you know, because it's not like with a stick bow, you're dropping hundred yard bombs, right? It's kind of 40 or under, um, you know, and in most case, 20 or 25 yards, but a stiff wind. In fact, Rob, a uh, buddy of mine, Rob, when we were hunting fr- recently, he shot at a predator and the wind was bad enough. The arrow almost slapped the animal sideways on an 18 yard shot. You know, would a smaller uh, vein or uh, fletching profile or less feather back there or less vein back there help that a little bit? That's where you kind of want to take into the consideration of everything we're talking about um, and what's the least amount of vein you can get away with and still stabilize your arrow perfectly. And that just comes to messing around with it. So my question um, that so on that four inch on that four inch four fletch with the a trad vein, is that too much vein you think? Or is it just yeah. kind of, you know, going to see if it works. Oh, it'll work. That's what I mean. Some of this stuff is kind of picking fly poop out of chili, right? Like, is it going to be that big of a difference? There's going to be some in a wind tunnel certainly will tell you how much difference, you know, when you do wind tunnel testing for wind drift of, of different diameter arrows and fletching, you're going to find, Generally, the best option you have is going to be a uh, semi-low profile, uh, you know, fletch or feather, um, a smaller one with four of them, uh, you know, so four, three inch, four, two and three quarter. Now, some guys can easily get away with three, three inch. It really just depends on what you're comfortable with um, and, and, and what, you know, that specific setup is producing. So. Like if you're shooting four, four inch, far be it for, I used to shoot three, five inch and four, four inch, killed a ton of animals with those setups, no issues at all. Yeah, they drag a little bit in the wind, they parachute a little bit, but no, not necessarily the meaning you need to change anything. If it works, don't mess with it. You might get a little less wind drift. You probably won't get any more stability, obviously with less uh, vein in the back. The big thing is the wind and wind can really affect that. And so if it does, you may want to look at, you know, taking away some feather or vein off the back. But if you're shooting good and it's not really affecting anything, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress over it. So you obviously have a lot more experience with this than I do, but it seems as though that trad vein would be less affected by the wind than a feather. Is that correct? Oh, you know, I don't think that's the case. I would say that um, really where you see the difference is actually the noise the I would say the the feather and the trad vein the trad vein might be a little bit better. Really, what you're going to notice if if you have a buddy or your wife stand down range and hide behind a tree, uh, you know, to the right or the left of your obviously impact, the feather literally will, will like I said, it's a seventy percent plus reduction, seventy five percent in noise with the feather, and so or excuse me with the vein, the feathers are a lot louder, so. Four four-inch feathers will sound like a hawk dive bombing you. Uh, four uh, four-inch trad veins is relatively noiseless. There's a little noise. Um, that's where the big difference will be. Now, long distance, not necessarily left and right, but long distance, a feather will definitely affect uh, your point of impact because they parachute more, um, and you get a lot more wind drag from a feather than you do a, a vein. Yeah, I uh, well, my my biggest thing was like. Um... You know, with the vein, with the feather being, um, I, I don't know the, the the right word I want to use here. Um, 
I don't know. It just seems with how with how flimsy that uh, that AE vein is that that it would be less affected by the wind. But all right. So so Aaron, you got any questions? I'm good. Well, that's good. <laughs> we we've uh, ne- and this is this is nothing negative toward you, Aaron. Um, we've kind of moved a little too fast for my for me to have any questions. You know, well, I mean, it, uh, what's nice is with these. That's why you can rewind it and listen again. Yep, it's yeah, just kind exactly. of take it piece by piece, little by little, and then uh, you know, as uh, time goes on, and uh, you know, you're starting to really mess around with this. I have guys that'll leave a podcast on while they're putting their bow together and tuning. And just rewind or fast forward and, and when it's applicable for what portion they're on. Cause I am talking extremely fast and it's, I don't really have, I do this so much. It's not like I have to write it down and take notes. It's just kind of like wiping your butt, right? It's just second nature. Nobody needs to teach you right, how to do yeah. it. The more you do it, believe me, it'll, it'll become second nature to use. I did, I did have one question um, way back um, earlier on when you, when you say, um, components on the front end of the arrow what is that so the components are like uh, an insert uh so for example let's say an eastern axis it's a hit insert so it's actually a component that goes inside the arrow that you screw your field tip or broadhead to then there's collars uh impact collars things like that that beef up or a footer that beefs up the durability of the arrow on the front end uh that's the component system same on the back end of the arrow you can have a standard knock. Um, you can shoot pin knocks, wraps, things like that. Those change the tune of the arrow. Um, and those are all the things you have to kind of take into that equation of what system you're wanting to shoot. If you're wanting to shoot a pin knock, um, you know, for example, which I do not suggest shooting pin knocks for trad, um, you're going to add an aluminum, uh, basically, component that slides into the arrow and then a knock it has a nipple on it and the knot goes over on the nipple. Some guys obviously aren't going to use that, but they'll put uh, top hats on the back end of their arrow to beef it up, make it more rigid, more, more durable. So if they have arrows impacting arrows or if the, the impact of the arrow into a ground or a stump or a rock, a lot of times the back end of the arrow may crack from the knock slamming into that where those, those, those hat pins or what a top hats or whatever they're called beef up the back end of the arrow but that also stiffens the arrow because you're adding weight to the back end all of these things come into play on the tune okay i kind of i kind of uh i kind of deduced um the the part about the uh the insert where you would screw your broadhead into but i didn't know if there was more that went into that so there's a lot of different components that's what goes into it like there's a different system so that's where it'll get confusing Every system weighs a little bit different, um, you know. So again, one system that you may like to shoot may weigh seventy-eight grains. Well, then you know you might want two twenty-five point weight uh, for that if you want three hundred grains up front. And so that's where it comes into play. Not what component, but what that specific component weighs. Uh, so it it works in in continuity or in congruity with the point weight you're going to be screwing onto it. Now, I've got a question for you on components. Um, I recently got some broadheads, and um, I think they were 125s. I got some 125s sent to me, and I'm like, man, I'm shooting 150s. 
Don't they make um, just little weights that you can screw on behind your broadhead to increase that weight of that broadhead? And and uh, are those uh, just a horrible idea, or is that something you've actually utilized before? Well, part of the component system I just designed, you can actually screw it onto those, but that's not been done before. Um, you actually are going to be screwing it onto the back of your component system. And so you can screw um, weight systems into the back of your hit insert, your RPS insert, whatever insert or components you're, you're using. Most companies have um, weights that you can screw onto the back to tune that way as well. But but not the point, um, because if you screwed it onto that, then the broadhead wouldn't be able to screw into the components. Right. I was just curious. Uh, I thought I had saw something about, uh, about you know, changing broadhead weight or something, and uh, I just couldn't remember, but... The, the only system that when I just designed with Bill, so um, that like I said, the rest you just screw them into the back of the com- the actual component. This will actually release, you know, after obviously you've released it. So, do you want to give the name of that or or not? I don't even know if Bill named it yet, but all it is is a a glue in. You know how you glue in like a bullet point for tournament archery? You just glue, glue in your practice point. Where with this, yeah. it's a a longer shank coming off the back of the ferrule with a threaded uh, portion on the back end where you can add or take away weights. And then there's a collar that goes on and you can glue the whole system in uh, so you get better concentricity or run out, meaning your your broadheads are always going to spin perfect. Where you add a bunch of components to the front, every component you add, whether you have like a half out and then a collar over the top or something, that ends up being hard for that that broadhead to spin perfect, and it and it, it takes away durability. Where this is all one piece that you glue in, so it's the the strongest, most consistent um, system that's actually ever been designed for uh, for micro or skinny shafts. Um, that's not an opinion. I mean, that's the truth. That's not me just saying it. It, it is the most durable and, and most consistent you'll ever find for for skinnies or micros. Awesome. Um... So have you completely walked us through your arrow setup or is there still steps you take? Man, that that's pretty much it. Um, you know, the like I said, if you're going to take anything uh, away from this other than the tuning portion is uh, if your release really sucks or you're collapsing or you got form issues, don't expect a perfect tune and don't try and buy a bunch of arrows off your tune with bad form. Uh, once you get your form really uh, dialed in and your release then dump more money into components and arrows and broadheads and things like that. Because if you have bad form, maybe you're not totally expanding in your shot. Once you do that, the system that you set up for bad form probably is not going to fly with good form and a good release and good expansion. So don't waste a bunch of money on bad form. Um, You know, make sure you're all dialed in and and then put money into the arrows and components because your tune will change as your, as your form gets better. I also want to make a note um, that just because, you know, on paper, this is the arrow that should work out of your bow, it doesn't mean it's going to. Um, you know, I, I recently called Three Rivers, and, and I was talking with Jonathan, and we got an arrow set up, and and uh, he sent it over to me, and, and I had been shooting, and this was the first arrow I had ever shot. Um, this was the, the first recurve I'd ever shot. So, you know, I, I, I thought I'm just shooting poorly, in my opinion. You know, I got to the point where I could hit with it, and I got to the point where I was ready to go hunting with it even. 
Um, and then I was on that hunt down there in South Texas and, uh, one of my buddies pulled out some arrows and, and on paper really shouldn't work, you know, I mean, just shouldn't fly that well. And, uh, I shot them out of my, out of my recurve and they flew like absolute darts. I mean, just fantastic arrow flight. And, uh, you know, maybe that is because of my poor, uh, shooting habits, but, um, you know, that's just the note I want to take. Find out what works for you because, you know, you can have the most brilliant guys say, hey, this is the arrow you need to shoot, the weight you need to shoot, cut it to this length. Um, but you got to find what works for you and you got to find what works for your specific bow. Um, that, and that's just the one thing I want to leave you with because that was like the first big lesson I learned. No, you're correct. And I mean, let's say your draw length's technically 28 and a half, but you're shooting on the collapse. So... If you're shooting on the collapse, you're shooting your, the arrow that may fly may be a lot weaker spine than you think or may have a point weight that doesn't seem like it should work. But it's because you're not technically hitting the specific draw length that you think you are. You may be short drawing, collapsing. All of those things come into play. Not saying that's what happened with you, but that can happen. And that's where I say you may go buy a bunch of those arrows like your buddy had. But then you go see a coach, those will not fly true anymore because um, your form and your draw length is going to change usually. Right. I, I do believe that that I was shooting on the collapse, which is why. And, and I know you're a big, uh, a big advocate of clickers. And, uh, and I ordered a clicker and uh, waiting for it to come. But, of course, all the mail is stinking delayed because every, everything's shut down. But um, so I ordered a clicker and I'm excited to start using it. And uh and and hopefully you know fix those those problems that I have. And definitely, I'm I'd say I'm a fan of a a big fan of a clicker for for training. Uh, you know, hunting I didn't use it so much. Uh, you know, I would lengthen it because I didn't you know want it clicking. As time went on, obviously I don't I don't really shoot with a clicker. You know, now except in practice, um, it's right. a great training. Uh, and, and I do really strongly suggest for people, if they're having some issues collapsing, at least put one on for, for training uh, to help to hit max expansion. Aaron, do you have any questions before we go? I'm good. Uh, Mr. Uh, Aaron Schneider, Aaron too. Um, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, uh, you know, my brother, Aaron, I don't really appreciate anything he does, but uh, I do appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us your time and, uh, teaching me a little bit about arrow builds yeah no no problem hopefully i didn't confuse any um anyone too much i talk super fast so i I apologize about that but uh you can find me on instagram it's uh, aaron underscore snyder and if uh, i did confuse you feel free to ask questions on there that's one of the better places to get a hold of me (laughs) i uh i will say this we've talked a lot about you know all of this being contingent on shot execution and uh, and in our next episode, we're going to be joined uh, with Harv Ebers. Uh, Aaron, do you know him? I don't know him. I, I've heard his name, or I know of him, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't personally know him. He is a uh, just an absolute legend, man. Uh, real good friends with Fred Bear, and and hunting quite a bit with Fred Bear. And uh, and uh, I don't remember how old he told me he was. I, I and I don't want to say it and then be wrong, but uh, but. I remember thinking, I wonder if he can even still hunt. And uh, I said, so when's the last time you got to shoot your recurve? And he said, what do you mean? I shot a deer with it yesterday. And I'm like, they're very good. 
And uh, yeah. I remember thinking, man, my grandparents, my grandparents uh, who are, you know, up there in age certainly couldn't get out in the woods. And uh, you're still you're still harvesting deer with a recurve. But uh, he's going to join us next episode on shot execution. And then we're actually going to be joining him. We're going to go to Missouri. Me and me and Aaron uh, Ray uh, are going to go to Missouri and uh, and do some video work with him. And and he's going to walk us through shot execution and uh, and the steps he takes. And and I've just been told by several people um, that he is the man when it comes to shot execution. So um, so we're going to go there, and he's going to walk us through that. So if you are questioning, you know, what is good shot execution? How do I how do I execute a shot uh, perfectly? Then make sure and tune into next week's episode. But then also keep an eye out on Bear Archery's Facebook as we'll be putting out those videos with uh, Harv. But Aaron, uh, before we go, I do need to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Nexus Outdoors, um, the powerhouse of Scentlock, Scent Blocker, and Oz by Scentlock. Uh, I'm a Scentlock guy. I wear Scentlock all the time, and uh, I've just grown uh, in love with it. Was out chopping wood uh, earlier in my. Uh, um, in my bibs and jacket, I don't remember the name of the series, but uh, was perfectly warm and uh, just a fantastic line from Scent Lock and Scent Blocker. So go check out uh, all of Nexus's brands. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us, man. I, uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I can't wait to have you on again. Yeah, no problem at all. You guys take it easy. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>